Thank you, Amy. I don't know about how anybody else felt. I think I could have done that for an hour uh, of just scripture and song. I just sensed his presence so real in that. I, I hope you did as well. And uh, thank you for leading us, Amy. And thank you for your vulnerability and your openness and your willingness just to to kind of pour yourself out for us so that we can worship God who is worthy. Um, I did forget an announcement, I'm sorry, and uh, Mara said, don't forget this, and of course I forgot it. Uh, there's a VBS meeting at noon today, right after church, or right after church when I get done preaching, and then Wednesday night at 6.30, make, if you could do one or the other, uh, she said it's going to be a short meeting, and all God's people said, amen, yeah. Uh, we're, we're working through this flannel graph or into the flannel graph series and and we're, we're operating with the understanding that who we are determines what we do that that, that our identity uh, determines the actions that we take uh, the things that we do in our life and God's story helps us find our identity as the people of God that that God has big plans for his people and, and he wants to use us in dynamic ways. And so we've just been tracing through the story. We talked about creation, and, and then we talked about catastrophe as, as Adam and Eve sinned, and then we had the flood, and, or through the flood. And then we, then we talked about covenant last week with, with Abraham and, and how God is the one who calls us. And, and this week we're, we're going to work through, it's, it's a continuing theme in the story. There's, there's two continuing themes that you see throughout the story that, that almost you almost find in every story, and it's the ideal of exile and it's the ideal of twists and turns and the ideal of detours if you will in the story that that throughout the story there's these times when it seems like we're separate from God we're pushed away from God and sometimes it's our own doing and sometimes God is trying to lead us somewhere different and then there's just this concept of detours that you see often in the story and as we sang as, as Josh read scripture and, you know, you know, God's working on me. I hope he's working on you. God's working on me and, and, and what he expects of me and how he's wanting to use me. And it's been a, just this year has been a, a strange year in a lot of ways in how God is shaping and shifting and using me in different ways. Uh, as, I, as I stood before you, in July of last year, uh, FedEx was not on my radar, I gotta tell you. Uh, but, but I'm here to tell you that I think God is working something in those few hours that I'm there uh, that is essential to my development to be your pastor. That, that he's trying to do something different within me, and that's an important part of what he's doing. And, and, and I, I know this, I don't think this is a gospel group. Uh, the Grateful Dead's not a gospel group, right? And, and I, the, the phrase that kept going through my mind is that song, what a long, what a long strange trip it's been. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, as I look at my life and how God has, has, has taken me from Indiana to Missouri to Kansas uh, to Ohio, <laughs> I've lived more, I'm, I'm more Buckeye than anything else now, uh, how he's taken me on this journey. It's, it's been a weird kind of journey uh, of twists and turns, of unexpected things. Anybody else there, out there say, hey, pastor, I can relate. I never thought uh, that God would take me to this place. And so this is a continuing theme in the story that, that, that as we look at this story of God, as we look at the story of us, uh, as, we, as we look at this continuing story, these twists and turns are in elements in all of our lives. 
and it's an element in God's story. Uh, you know, every good story has twists and turns. It, you, don't, you don't watch movies, you don't read books, you don't watch TV shows that are predictable, hopefully. Uh, but, but, but you like twists and turns. You, 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 like, you like what they used to call cliffhangers. You guys remember cliffhangers? Uh, you know, cliffhangers used to be uh, that, that, that at the end of a series, you'd have to wait like nine months till the series came again to find out what happens, whether JR had really been shot or not. And, and about one third of you know even what I'm talking about. <laughs> Now we binge watch, so there's no such thing as a, a cliffhanger. We just watch the whole series in one sitting. But, but there used to be this ideal of, of cliffhangers. And, and, and oftentimes, it's like there's cliffhangers in our life, right? Uh, there, there's times in our life where it just feels like we're kind of waiting to see what happens next. We like to read drama, read books that have this kind of drama. We like to watch shows that have this kind of drama. But, but can we admit that most of the time we don't enjoy the cliffhangers in our life, right? <laughs> we, we don't enjoy the sleepless nights as we're wondering what will happen next. But it's part of our life. And God builds into his story and I believe he builds into his story purposefully these twists and turns so that we can see that God is faithful throughout the twists and turns. God's story includes bumps in the roads. <laughs> and if you drive in Union County, you know what I mean by bumps in the road. There's a lot of bumps, it seems, in our road. And so we're going to pick up after Isaac uh, and, and after Isaac, from, from Jacob, who becomes Israel, through Joseph, and, and, and through the time the people are, of Israel are in Egypt, there's a lot of twists and turns. And, and frankly, it, it's, it's way too much to read. I mean, I've been reading, uh, but, but this is way too much to try to read. And so can I just tell you the story today? Okay. Can we be storytellers? Can we bring the lights down? Like, and can you, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Bring the lights down. He's just looking at me. Can we? I don't know. Can we? <laughs> I guess I phrased that as a question. I, I was thinking we were on Jeopardy or something. Can we bring the lights down is the correct answer. Um, after Isaac, he, he, he goes and he, he finds a wife, Rebecca. And, and, and just like the story of Abraham, there is this delay before Rebecca is able to give birth and before she has children. It's, it's not quite as extreme as this delay for Sarah and Sarai, uh, Sarai and Sarah, uh, but, but there is a delay. And finally they have two boys. Esau is born first, and, and while he's born, Jacob has a hold of his heel. That, that, that he's so close behind him, he's grabbed on to his heel. And so there, there continues this sibling rivalry between these two. Uh, it, see, it seems to be something that's there from the beginning, from the time they're in the womb. Uh, there's this, this fighting amongst themselves. Early on in the story, it, we, we find that, that Jacob is kind of a, a homebody. <laughs> he sits at home playing video games, and, and Esau goes out and hunts and kills. And so Esau comes in from the field, and, and Jacob is, is, 
at the house and he, he's made some like really good stew, um, some, some really good chili. Uh, it's probably real spicy and flavorful and, and Esau comes in and sees it and, and, and Esau wants it. And he, he, he makes a statement, you know, I'm about to die anyhow. You might as well give me this stew. And he, he gives Jacob his birthright for the stew. He, he gives him the firstborn rights for a bowl of soup. <laughs> you know, of course, there's, there's always the, the side story. What, what are we giving up for our birthright? You know, in this story, you know, Esau is, is giving in to his, his, his earthly desires, his fleshly desires, and in so doing, he's foregoing what is promised to him in the future. And, and can we all admit that, that that's, that's a problem for all of us? That, that oftentimes we'll give up our future just for our present uh, satisfa- satisfaction. And that's what Esau does. And, and, and so Jacob steals his birthright, and, and then later on, Jacob steals Esau's blessing. And he does this with the assistance of his mother, Rebekah, who, who seems to favor Esau, while Isaac seems to favor or Rebecca, who tends to favor Jacob, while Isaac favors Esau. And so what she does is, is Isaac's going to give the blessing, and so he sends Esau out and tells him to go hunt some game, and he's going to prepare this, this food, and in preparing, then when he prepares the food, there's going to be this celebration, and Isaac, who is, whose eyesight has become weaker, is going to bless Esau with the blessing of the firstborn son. And so Esau goes out and Rebekah hears it and, and, and she gets Jacob and, and she conceives this plot where they, they go and get an animal from the flock and they prepare it and Jacob brings it in. She, she puts the fur of the animal on Jacob because Esau is apparently hairy and, and, and Jacob's not. And he prepares the food and brings it to the father and the father finally pulls him close because he wants to touch his arms because he has the voice of Jacob. He says, well, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. (laughs) And so Isaac blesses Jacob. He gives him this great blessing of of being the primary son, of receiving the favored status of Esau, thinking, Jacob, your brother will serve you. And Jacob goes out. Esau comes in a short time later and, and says, it's Esau, your son. And Isaac's going, well, how many sons Esau do I have? I just blessed you. And Esau pretty quickly realizes that his brother Jacob, now he has stolen his birthright, but he's also stolen his blessing. That's one of the saddest verses in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. He says to his father, don't you have any blessing left for me? I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, that always kind of turns me a little bit, that I have a lot of empathy for Esau in that moment. And Isaac gives one of those Old Testament blessings that you'd say, please don't bless me anymore, right? Isaac says, you will serve Jacob (laughs) and blesses him with this lesser blessing that in a lot of ways doesn't look much like a blessing, but it is what it is. 
And so after he steals Esau's blessing, Jacob finds out that Esau's mad. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? And Esau begins to plot against Jacob. And Rebekah talks to Isaac and convinces him to send Jacob back to her brother's house, Laban, so, so that she can preserve the life of Jacob. But, but she does it with the idea that we want Jacob to marry one of her own. Uh, Esau's begun to marry those who live around them, and she sends Jacob back to find a wife with her brother. Um, don't do that here, okay? And so Jacob returns to, his, to, to Laban in Haran, and as he's there, he encounters Rachel, and Rachel's this hot chick that he loves, and he wants to marry, so he works for seven years. Yeah, he works for seven years to marry Rachel. And Laban slips in Leah on him. Um, and he wakes up, you know, it's that famous saying, have you ever thought you married a Rachel and woke up with a Leah? And, and that's what happens. He wakes up with Leah and he's upset. And he says, well, you know, finish your week with this daughter, then we'll give you Rachel and you can work for her as well. And so he works for 14 years for his, his wife's. And, and, and then he continues to work for his uncle Laban, and he begins to um, build a flock. You know, there begins to be this little bit of a conflict. He, he needs to build his own, his own animals, so he, 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 begins to say, he, he begins to take and be, receive as payment the speckled flock, you know, the, the certain animals, not all the animals, just the certain animals. And he, he does something with an almond branch in, in front of the troughs that I don't think works, but God blesses it anyhow, okay? Don't try this at home. But his flocks begin to grow. And he begins to, to maneuver it. Jacob's a trickster, right? You guys understand that, that Jacob's a deceiver in this story, and yet God uses this deceiver in amazing ways. Jacob begins to build his flock at the expense of Laban. And then at the same time, he begins to have children. And, and, and Leah is able to have children. And, and then Leah allows Jacob to have children with Zilpah, her, her, her maid, and, and, and then uh, Leah has another child, Rachel allows Bilhah, I'm saying these names right, am I right Bob? Close enough, yeah? So Leah has children, then Rachel's maid, Bilhah has children, then, then Leah's maid, Zilpah <laughs> has children, and then Leah has another child after the two servants because Jacob was hired for a mandrake, uh, which is basically a love apple, which is, that's the other phrase for it. It, it's, it has a narcotic effect that, that Rachel wanted this mandrake that Leah's son had found. And so Leah has another child. I, I'm not making this up. It's in the story. <laughs> Read your Bible. It's fascinating. You get some interesting stories in here. So Leah has another child. And then finally, Rachel has a child. And all of this while he's working to build his own flock. 
And so finally it comes to a time that Jacob wants to go home and, and, and there's this conflict that's just kind of inherent in the story between Laban's family and Jacob and, and, and he, he decides he's going to go home and so instead of going to his father-in-law, his uncle, father-in-law, <laughs> and saying, hey, I want, it's funny to me. It may not be funny to anybody else, but that's funny to me. Uh, I wonder why he called him Uncle Laban or father-in-law. But what it goes to Laban and says, hey, I, I, he doesn't tell him, he just sneaks off in the middle of the night. And Rachel goes and steals the family idol and takes it with him. Like, you know, stirs it up a little bit more. And, and Laban chases him down, and there's this last conflict between him and Jacob. And he accuses Jacob of stealing the idol, and, and he has Jacob says, well, you can search anything, and whoever's taken it, you can, you can do what you want with them. And and, and Rachel puts it under her and says, hey, it's my time of the month, so you, know, you don't want to bother me, and he doesn't. You guys are thinking, man, he's, he's just making this stuff up. I am not making this story up. And so there's this whole deal with, Rach, with, with Jacob and Laban. Uh, conflict. You know, the, the, Laban says something to the effect, those, those kids that you have, they're mine. But God's told me to let you go, so I'm going to let you go. And they build this altar that serves as a barrier. <laughs> and, and this is hilarious to me. Laban calls it one thing and Jacob calls it another thing, right? Anybody ever have one of those relationships, right? And, and that's what this is. This is, this is not a great relationship. But, but, but Jacob's relationships are always a little dicey because there's a lot of deceit in Jacob's actions. So he's going home and he's going to meet Esau and he's, he's got fear because he does not know what Esau will do, how Esau will receive him. And so he's sending flocks and family ahead of him as gifts to Esau. And he's continuing to do this and continuing to send them and dividing until finally it's just Jacob by himself. And there's this fascinating passage where Jacob wrestles with a man or an angel or Jesus prefigured through the night and he won't let go and to who he's wrestling with blesses him and finally he receives the blessing and he's renamed Israel because you have contended with God and man and you have prevailed and the passage says that that Jacob walked with a limp. The next morning, he got up, he was limping because of this encounter with this angel, this man with God. And he encounters Esau. And Esau, Esau receives him with grace. And he receives him with forgiveness. And Jacob says, because of your reception and your forgiveness, it's as if I'm looking into the face of God. <laughs> I got to tell you, that, that, that's one you should probably underline in your Bible. Because when we demonstrate grace and forgiveness to people who do not deserve our grace and forgiveness, we are showing them the face of God. Even Esau who is not the promised one, who is not, not the blessed one, is able to demonstrate the face of God to Jacob. 
So he settles in Canaan, and he has his last child. Benjamin's born. Rachel has Benjamin, and she dies in bearing Benjamin. And he has a son, Joseph. And Joseph is favored. That this was the first child by Rachel, and he dearly loves Joseph to the extent that he shows disfavor to his other kids. And in the story, there's strife, there's contention in the household of Jacob with these 12 sons. There's, there's always drama. Anybody ever live in a house where there was always drama? There's always something going on. But there's this thing with Joseph, that, that Joseph, he interprets dreams, and the dreams kind of make it seem like they're going to worship him or bow down to him, and, 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 and it makes them dislike him even more. And eventually Joseph goes to check on his brothers in the field, and they decide to kill him. Uh, but then they, they change their mind and they do him a favor and they simply sell him into slavery, right? <laughs> Thank you, brothers. Uh, you know, for, because, they, because we're a brother, we won't kill you, we'll just sell you into slavery, send you to Egypt. And, and so Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house and we, we know the story. Potiphar has a wife and uh, the, the wife thinks Joseph's pretty good looking and she wants to be with him. And man, I, we, we need to make like in, R ratings for these, right? You know, PG. This is PG-13. Um, she wants to be with, with, with Joseph, and, and, and Joseph refuses. And finally, she gets him alone in the house, and she grabs a hold of his cloak. And, and Joseph runs out of the house and leaves his robe behind. And she tells this story that he had tried to take advantage of her. And Joseph, once again, is done wrong, and he ends up in prison. While in prison, Joseph continues to be blessed. I mean, and he rises to authority in the prison, and they trust him, and they make him like an overseer. And while he's in prison, two officials of the Pharaoh are thrown into prison. And uh, uh, one, uh, they both have dreams, and, and, and Joseph interprets the dreams. One is going to be killed, and one is going to be restored to the position. And he tells them the interpretations of their dreams. He says, but just remember me when you're back in Pharaoh's presence. Of course, they're like me, and they forgot, right? Immediately he forgot. The, the, and and so, so Joseph remains in jail. And while he's in jail, Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. He sees seven fat cows, and then seven lean cows rise up and eat the seven fat cows. And then he sees seven fat stalks of grain, and then seven lean stalks of grain rise up and eat the seven fat stalks. And he can't figure out what these dreams mean. He asks all these wise men and all these religious people, and, and, and none of them can interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer remembers Oh, wait, when I was in prison, there was a Hebrew. There, there was this, this, this guy that interpreted dreams for us. And so he calls, Pharaoh calls Jacob, Joseph to him, and, and Joseph interprets the dream. He says, God, God can give me the interpretation, and the interpretation is this, that you're going to have seven years of excess. But then you're going to have seven years of famine that are going to be so bad that the years of excess will be gone. And, and so Pharaoh... He sees something in Joseph and his interpretation of the dream, and he makes him, in essence, this slave, this prisoner, this Hebrew. And by the word, this way, this, this word Hebrew um, has a 
couple of connotations, but, but basically when you, you use the phrase Hebrew, it means somebody from the other side of the track. This marginalized wanderer. He uses this marginalized wanderer to deliver Egypt from the famine. And he places him second in charge. So, Pharaoh, so, so Joseph has risen up to this position and, and you know, things, things are going well for Joseph. And, you know, he marries and you know, it seems to be going well in Egypt. And, and, and the famine comes. And eventually, lo and behold, before him, his brothers show up. This is sweet, right? Anybody ever been in this position where it's, aha, this is, this is great? And, and, and I got to tell you, I, you, you can spiritualize this story all you want, but, but all it looks like to me is Joseph messes with his brothers just a little bit. Um, which is, kind, if you've ever had a brother, that's fun to do, right? If you've ever had a brother that sold you into slavery, it's essential to do. And so Joseph begins to mess with them, and he, he accuses them of being spies. And, 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 and finally, he, he asks if they have another brother. He finds out about Benjamin, and, and they tell him about this brother that was killed by an animal because that's what they told their father, that, that Joseph had been killed by an animal. And so he keeps one of the brothers and sends them back home, and he puts their money back in their bag. And they get home and they get, or get on the way and they go, whoops, <laughs> we're in trouble. And so they decide they're not going to come back, all right? Would you go back? Because they don't recognize, they don't know this is Joseph. But, but the famine continues. And they're going to starve if they don't get more food. And, and so once again, they go back with Benjamin. And, and, and Joseph does these things with them and, and he favors Benjamin, and it's kind of weird. He's eating with them or allowing them to eat in his, 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 his home and, and all these things. And, and then he sends them on their way again. And he puts their money back and, and he puts the idol in Benjamin's bag. And then he chases them down and, 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 and he brings them back. And they're like, we didn't steal. We didn't do this. And, and lo and behold, they find the idol in Benjamin's bag. <laughs> And, of course, they're like, oh, we're in trouble. And finally, Joseph can stand it no longer. And Joseph confesses to them, I'm your brother. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that, right? You know, the jaw drop. Uh, and and he, he, he embraces them. He, he, he has them send for his father and brings him, Jacob, Israel, to Egypt. And he has them settle in Goshen, which is some of the best land for shepherds. And he has them settle there. And then Jacob dies. <laughs> and, and the brothers are thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> now we're going to pay for what we did to Joseph those many years ago. And then our key verse for today. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I got to tell you, this is a fascinating, I, I just read through this, this past week, the story of Jacob, and I'm actually in the middle of Exodus now. I just kind of read through it again. This is a fascinating story. 
And frankly, some parts of the story, from my Christian perspective, from my understanding of Jesus, are hard to justify. Jacob cannot be trusted. Um, I wouldn't want to get in a land deal with Jacob, okay? Because he's going to rip you off if he can. Uh, Jacob is known as a deceiver, and, and it's rightful that he's known for that. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery when they decide they're not going to kill him. And as I think about that, the twists and turns in our lives may have many causes. So, so, sometimes they're caused by sin. So, sometimes it's our sin, and sometimes it's the sin of others. And what I appreciate about Joseph and what he says is he does not try to sanctify the actions of his brothers. He doesn't say, oh, you guys did the right thing. He said, what you did was evil. Some of you sitting here this morning, the twist in your turns in your life are not because God is bad. It's because this world is corrupt and because there are evil people in our world. And you've had pain, not because of God. God is not causing your pain, but we live in a fallen world and we, we live around fallen people. And sometimes we sin and we pay the price. And Joseph doesn't try to put all parts of the story on God, but he acknowledges that God can sanctify every life because our God is creator. And he can weave these things together even when they're fallen to create something that's beautiful and glorious and good for us. See, we do not have to sanctify every action in our life. In fact, we can. We can acknowledge evil in our world. We can acknowledge that our circumstances stink. Amen? You've never said amen to circumstances stink before, but it's okay. Sometimes our circumstances stink because we live in a fallen world. But God's dream for us, dreams for us, are bigger than our circumstances. That God has something more in mind. And he can take these twists and turns and detours and evil actions and good actions. And at the end of it, he can produce something that's good. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. <laughs> we'll play a video in closing, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and, and close this. And, and Bob, I'm going to steal this. You, you can talk about your VBS thing too. When, when, you, when you hear this, Jessica, I see her husband back here, but she's not in here today. She, they're, they're newer to our church. This is a video testimony she gave for um, Northwest Grace Church. Uh, right? Am I right? Northwest Chapel, and um, they became connected through church because their kids were invited to vacation Bible school. And their kids loved 
the children's department so much that they loved their kids enough to come to church, even though that really wasn't on your radar that much, was it? And God interceded in their life, and they found salvation. Who are you going to minister to in vacation Bible school that this is going to be their story? Hi, I'm Jessica Walks, and this is my God story. Growing up was a struggle for me. I grew up in a house with a lot of arguing and uh, division. My mom believes in God, and my dad doesn't. Uh, When I was a girl, my mom took me to church, and she told me about God and that He loves me, but it wasn't often. And on the contrary, my dad gets angry when you talk about God, and to him, God's a curse word. So at home, it was tense. There was um, a lot of fighting, and there was uh, alcohol and drugs and addiction and broken relationships. So um, when I became a teenager, I turned to my friends, too, for support and an outlet, which was unhealthy. That led to parties and drinking and boyfriends. So it was not a good place, but my parents hadn't instilled in me that I needed to go to college to get an education um, to make my life better. Because um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and they wanted better for me. When I went to school, I worked really hard, but I still was sad inside and I was broken and hurt. And no matter what I accomplished, it never filled that void. So. Um, I would study hard and work hard, and then I would go out and drink with my friends. So it was just not healthy, and I came to a point where I felt really worthless. But God is really good. Despite my stubbornness, despite all my bad choices, He blessed me. I met Jim, my husband, and it was a huge turning point in my life because for the first time I was in a relationship, where I was loved and respected, and I loved and respected him. And it was from the beginning, we knew we were gonna get married. And then we did. We got married and it was really good, and we wanted to have kids right away. But it didn't happen. We struggled for 10 years. Um, we had, I had a miscarriage, and then surgeries, and lots of fertility treatments. And after that, I had it was, I had a lot of problems um, with my health, and then emotionally and physically. And we knew that God had a different plan for us at that point, and that began our path to being foster parents. And after a while, that led to us adopting our three kids, which was awesome. And then miraculously, a few years later, I got pregnant, which I never thought I would. And it was, it was an amazing time because we saw God working through that situation and we felt really blessed, but we were struggling. It was tough. And when you parent children who've been hurt, it brings out all of your pain, unresolved pain from your childhood. And that's where I was. And I was feeling like a terrible mom because I couldn't parent the way I wanted to. And I was angry and bitter still, and that came out in my parenting. And I felt like a really bad mom, and I just lived in overwhelming guilt. So when we started coming to church, I would come sit in the chapel and just cry every week for weeks. I would just cry. 
And it was tears of joy. I was realizing who Jesus is. I was realizing that I needed Him. And I just understood my sin and that I was carrying bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and that that was a sin because I felt like I had every right to be mad. And Jesus opened my heart and let me know that that is not okay. And He broke down these walls of bitterness. And it's just been amazing ever since. Here's a verse that's been encouraging me. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 So I just want to encourage anyone, if you are feeling angry and bitter and have unforgiveness in your heart, that it is possible and necessary to forgive. And that's God's will for us. And God always provides for His will. So just pray and repent and ask Him, and He will give you the strength to do it. Sometimes it feels impossible. It did for me. But God provides, and He loves us. He died on the cross for you and for me. No matter what you did, it's because of His grace and His love, not because of what we do. Thank you, Lord, through all of the twists and turns of our lives that you're still working on us and are working out your will that will not only bless us, but will glorify you. And that's what we want, for you to be glorified. We don't want the attention. We want to be able to say this is happening because of what you are doing. And we love you. Father, we pray for our teens as they travel and as they will experience you in ways that they never thought possible. May they be open and receptive to your ministry through your Holy Spirit. May they make friendships that will last for a lifetime. May they be encouraged to know that you will never fail. We pray, Lord, for all those who are going to be part of the Bible school. You already know. And we pray that you would begin working in their lives to help them to be receptive to the truths that they will hear and that they will fall in love with you as we have. We don't know how many parents may come to know you because the children led the way. But that's our prayer. That's our goal. So we ask you to bless us, not just so that we might be receivers of blessings, but that we might be channels of those blessings to flow out into the lives of those with whom we have contacts. To you be the glory now and forever through the holy name of Jesus, your Son. And all the people said amen. Amen. God bless.